All right, open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. Um, it's truly a privilege to be here. Um, I, I was very excited about coming. Um, in all the days leading up, I was very excited um, landing, getting off the plane, going and getting good food, because um, you guys have that down here, which is great. Um, I haven't had that in a long time, so that was, that was really refreshing. So excited. Um, I was excited coming in last night when, when the worship was going. I was so excited. Um, I was excited until Ken started teaching. Um, and then I was no, and that, that's happened before. Um, uh, but, but this was, this was different, um, because Ken gets up here and, um, he just decided to teach my message. <clears throat> Granted better than I would have done it, um, but still, um, so I'm sitting next to Pastor Raz, who's, you know, very weathered and seasoned in the, in the faith, uh, just a rock, man of God. And I look over at him, I'm like, um, I'm kind of freaking out. That's my message. Like, that was my point. That was my point. And I'm pointing, too. So I'm like, this is now my point. That's all I got. <clears throat> and uh, Raz so graciously goes, it's okay, brother. Just give the message again. Just give Ken's message. And I was like, well, it's my message, and Ken's giving it. Um, <laughs> I mean, whatever. Um, so I, I, I sat there, and I was like, how, how could I? How could I give Ken's message? I can't, I can't make my voice like that. And in fact, when he did, like, the effeminate man, I'm like, that's deeper than me. Like, I can't do that. I'm like, I didn't grow breasts when, when I was younger. Um, I didn't know how to do a push-up until I was in eighth grade. I'm like, I can't. And so since I get no love from Raz, no sympathy whatsoever, um, I decided to, you know, to be, you know, the mature man that I am, so I frantically started texting Zach. Um, going, hey, this is my message. Like, I don't know what to do. This is my message. This is my message. This is my message. And, um, and Zach texted me back, and, and he said, <laughs> he said, well, well, brother, all things work together for the good. <laughs> okay. okay. So I'm getting, I'm getting no sympathy, no, no sympathy from anybody. And um, with Ken's message on mine last night, I just need you to know, I feel... <laughs> anxious. Um, I, I, I feel so <laughs> burdened, you know? Um, anyway, it is what it is. So uh, we're just going to do what we can. So last night, um, while you all were sleeping, uh, there I was. <clears throat> so we'll, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. So thank you, brother. Uh, truly blessed by you last night. <clears throat> All right, I am really excited to see what the Lord does this morning. Let's pray, and uh, we'll get into our study. Father, we thank you so much. You are so good. Oh, you are so good. We thank you, Jesus, that we now get to fellowship around your word. We thank you that we get to offer the sacrifice of our time. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be pleased. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would remove any distraction. Father, anything external. Uh, we pray that, that you would remove those. But Lord, more than that, anything internal. 
I know in a room this size that there's no doubt people who have brought in things that the enemy would love to use to distract them from hearing your voice and from receiving your guidance and your comfort. And so we pray now by the power of your spirit, you would allow each of us to have hearts that are prepared and ready to hear and to receive. Lord, whatever it is that you want to say, we, we invite you to blow through the caverns of our hearts. There, there is nothing in our life that is off limits to you. And so we pray, Jesus, that you'd come in right now to those who are downtrodden, those who are discouraged, even depressed. We pray that you would comfort, that you would speak. Those who feel lost, hopeless, confused, we pray that you would guide. And Lord, even those who are living a duplicitous life, those who are full of hypocrisy, those who know how to put on the Christian face, even go to the concerts, go to the church services, go to all of the events, do all the things the way Christians do, and yet their heart is far from you. I pray this morning that you would catch them and that you would, you would bring them to a place of submission and bowing the knee. Lord, whatever you want to say, we pray that you would speak. We love you so much, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Romans 8, 28 and 29, as you well know, because Ken taught it last night. It says, and we know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The, the first two words, six letters, they, they just smack us in the face, don't they? We know. Again, such incredible certainty that Paul wrote with. And yet, if you're like me, you read this and you have to stop on that and go, well, do I know? Like, do I? Like, I believe that this is one of the biggest problems that we face with this verse is that people don't know. They don't know what it says. Paul did, but do we? <clears throat> this is what we constantly question. We, th we say things like, how is it possible that God can use insert your situation, how is it possible that he can use this for the good? How is that possible? Guys, understand that what's implied with this question is that we believe that God can't. We believe that the evil we're facing is greater than his goodness, that he, in fact, is not all-powerful. Sadly, it's not a question of genuine inquiry or even wonder. It's a question that's riddled, laced, with doubt. And when we ask this question, we're only revealing who we believe God to be. We're revealing what we think his limitations are. And it's sad, this isn't the only question that we ask. We do this with other questions too. We say, well, if God is good, why did he allow evil? What's implied? Well, pride is implied. You're saying, if I was God, I would do it different. I wouldn't allow evil. We, we see the evil, and therefore we can't see his goodness. The problem with that is because we put the evil right in front of our face, and we focus just on that, and we go, well, he can't be good because this exists. Why would God let this happen? We'll even ask, doesn't he want me to be happy? And depending on who I'm talking to, if it's a guy, I usually say, no, stupid. 
If it's a lady, I, I go, oh, no, no. <clears throat> but, but no, stupid. He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be holy. <clears throat> but again, what's implied with this question is that God is our servant. It's his job to keep us happy. It's his job to do only what I would approve. All these doubt-filled questions can be answered with one word, faith. Faith. I, I don't know why. I don't know why God is allowing this to happen. But I know. I know that he is good. Faith. Guys, my application for if you're taking notes is this. Never exchange what you don't know for what you do know. Never exchange what you don't know for what you do know. If you'd like, you could say it this way. Don't question in the dark what God has revealed in the light. We don't know why something is happening, but what we do know is that God is good. And is that not comforting? You, you acknowledge that he has more info than you have, and you know that he is good, and that he will somehow work this together for the good. We might be in a dark season, but at least we have the light of the word, to shine truth on our doubt and discouragement. So before we can move on, I have to challenge each of us with this. Do you know? As you read this, do you know? Can you come to scripture and say like Paul said, we know. I urge you to hang your hat on this promise. Because no doubt, you are all already going through difficulties, and no doubt there are even greater difficulties in front of you. What are you going to do? Question God? Continue to question God? Or trust in his goodness, knowing that he is good? He says, we know. Well, what does he know? I love this. He knows that all things, all things work together for good. All things, the good, the bad, and even the unspeakably evil. Now, I, I had a story about going to my grandma's house and putting my spoon um, in something that I thought was frosting, but <clears throat> I decided to just take that out um, entirely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and what I'm left with is, is just to bleed it out in the pulpit and, and just tell you my story. Um, God uses all things, the good, the bad, and the unspeakably evil. Um, just a little bit about me. Um, when, when, I was, when I was younger, my dad left. Um, apparently, my, my mom, my brother, and I weren't good enough to keep his attention. Um, but that 18-year-old girl that was, that was you know, available, um, that was on his route as a police officer, she was good enough to keep his attention uh, for a little while until she wasn't, and then it was the next girl, and then the next girl... And I'm not, I'm not kidding. He's, going, he's engaged to his 12th fiance right now. And he's going on to his eighth marriage. He didn't seal the deal four times. <laughs> um, but he left. He abandoned me. So you know when, when you get abandoned by your dad, you have abandonment issues. Um, my mom, trying to make things work, um, she, she had to have me in, in uh, you know, Child care had a whatever that would be a babysitter. Well, the babysitter's son um, decided when I was five that he was attracted to little boys, and so he molested me. Um, that opened up the world of sex to a five-year-old. Um, 
my dad, my real dad, I went to see him once or twice a year, and um, in a drunken stupor at the age of 10, he asked me if I knew what the birds and the bees were, and I didn't know what that phrase meant, um, and so I said, no, and he looks at my brother, and he goes, go get the tape, and so he goes upstairs, and he shows me porn, and he's telling me, what this is this, and this is this, and this is this. At the age of 10, I was introduced to porn by my dad, uh, and we go, how... How, God, can you use this? Like all of this. this. That's just some. Like how can you use this? How can you use me having to hear my, my real dad threaten to kill my mom on the phone? Like how can you use this? Well, fortunately in my life, my mom met another guy who's my dad. If I ever say my dad, I'm talking about my stepdad. If I say my real dad, I'm talking about my biological father. But my dad... He fell in love with Jesus. My mom fell in love with Jesus. And so my life was a contrast. Uh, uh, just every single decision I would make, does this look more like this area of my life or does it look more like this area? I got to see a man who loved his wife and loved his kids, even those who weren't his biologically. And then I saw another man who abused everyone who he came in contact with. And I said, well, I want to be like that. Over and over, I saw a man who was patient. I saw a man who was kind. I saw a man who was loving. I, I saw a man who was sacrificial. Over and over and over, I would go, well, I want to be like that until one day I realized, well, he loves Jesus and he doesn't. So I want to love Jesus. So all of the evil, the Lord just used for me to have a point of contrast. In my life, he has used the good, the bad, and the unspeakably evil for his good, for my good and his glory. Notice, notice it says that he will use all things together for what? For the good. It doesn't say, and please note, it doesn't say he will work all things together the way we want. That's, that's Joel Osteen, right? God just wants you to be happy. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to have everything you ever wanted. Like that, that's, that's not what this says. <clears throat> if, I, if I can't imitate Ken, then I figure I'll just imitate him. <laughs> He's more in my, my zone. Guys, it works all things together for the good. It doesn't say all things together the way we want. God gets to define what good is. He gets to define what good is, not us. That's why James can write... My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, it doesn't say to be joyful because of your trials. Right? Like, oh, oh boy, my best friend hates me now. Like, guess what? Guess what? I got fired from that job I like. That's, that's not what it's saying. Clearly. No, but we get to count it as joy because we know what it will produce. I hate enduring the trial. I hate it but I love the patience and the maturity that God brings as I go through it. Experience hurts, but man, is it a great teacher. Now, that being said, there's no doubt that you've noticed that there are a lot of Christians who have been Christians longer than you, and yet they're still fools. Why is that? Well, because they haven't learned from the experience. You could say that the reality is that experience is only a teacher if you are its student. It's only a teacher if you are its student. 
If every trial you go through, listen carefully, if every trial you go through, you're a victim, instead of a student, you'll never learn anything. And you'll never have the opportunity to actually count it as joy. A victim complains about everything. That guy stole my teaching. Or whatever. I mean, just whatever. Anything. You know, like any example that you can conjure up. A victim complains about everything. I, I, I can't believe that I have to go through this. I'm always the only one who has to deal with these difficulties. The student complains about nothing. I don't know why I'm going through this, but, but I'm listening for the voice of Christ to teach me as I do. I, I know that I'm not the only one who has to endure this. A victim questions everything. A victim says, why me? Why me? How can you say that God loves me when he allowed my boyfriend or my girlfriend to break up with me? How? How? A student doesn't question. A student says, I don't know why me, but I know that God will see me through. Even though something bad happens to me, I'll never question God's love for me. Guys, some people are such professional victims that they will even spin everything. It's incredible. I mean, sure, I got a raise, but I'll bet you it's not as much as other people got. Are you, are you kidding me? I mean, kids do this all the time, right? Like, I have three kids. They're awesome, but, you know, they're, they're kids, so they're, you know, dirty, rotten, filthy little sinners. Um, they're cute, but that's just how they are. So, no doubt, at some point, one of them will say, you always make my least favorite dinner. And at, and at first, you know, like, when, when you're a young parent, you, you just don't want to ruin the kid's life, right? Like, you're like, that's, like, just your goal. Like, I, and so you're like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, like, um, sorry I didn't make your favorite dinner. Well, well buddy, what is your favorite dinner? I've, I've, that whole thing, I've, I've just abandoned that completely. Now I go, oh, man, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that daddy worked so hard to, to make money for you. I'm so sorry that I went to the grocery store, that I handpicked each item, and then I came here, and I made it, and then I presented it to you while you sat there. I'm sorry. You don't like it, then you eat nothing. I mean, right? This is, this is what a victim does. I, guys, a student doesn't spin. Listen, a student doesn't spin. They celebrate. They celebrate. Thank you, Lord, I got a raise. A student says, thank God I don't have to wonder every day if I'm going to eat. Praise God that I get to. May we all be students of our circumstances so that we can reap the divine blessings. Now, please note, please note, when our situation is bad, and no doubt, every single one of us will face bad situations. When our situation is bad, there is something good that we can all do. Pray. Uh, my mind naturally goes to Hannah in the Old Testament, mainly because Ken didn't talk about her last night. Um, <clears throat> he left me something. Um, but I think of Hannah. Hannah was in a bad situation, man. Her husband was married to another woman. That ain't good. I don't know if you ladies are single, um, but a good thing to avoid is a guy who's married to another woman, um, just, just so you're aware. Like, I, I know we're going deep here, but 
She was mar- he was married to another woman. That ain't good. The, the other woman was getting pregnant when she couldn't. That ain't good. Especially in, in, in a culture that valued above all other things for women their, their ability to reproduce. The other woman mocked Hannah's infertility. That ain't good. Like nothing about this was good. But what did Hannah do? Was she a victim to all of her friends? Did she post on social media all of her problems to gain sympathy? You go, well, no, she didn't have social media. I know. It's a, I'm connecting it to today. Okay. I hate when people do this. Like just problems, 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 problems. And then I hate even more. And if you do this, just take this as a firm rebuke, a slap in the face from me to you. Okay. <laughs> but if you see people posting like that and you go, oh, I'm so sorry. That's so terrible. You're not a friend to them. Okay. <clears throat> she, she posts stuff? No, no. Did she question God's goodness? Well, it doesn't tell us. But what we know, what we know is that she went to the temple and she prayed. That's what we know. It was Alistair Begg who said she poured her heart out to God. And knowing, listen, and knowing she was heard, she walked away at peace. Listen to the rest of this. Although at that point her body remained infertile, and her circumstances remained unchanged. Her spirit had been freed by her heavenly father. She prayed, and at that point, nothing changed but her perspective. When you're going through something bad, you can at least do something good. Pray. I also think of Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18 and 19. He was, facing a, he was facing as bad of a situation as there is. 185,000 soldiers camped right outside his capital city. Right outside. <clears throat> what did he do? Well, he, he employed three things before he employed his last thing. But number one, he trusted in Egypt. And if you know the Old Testament trusting in Egypt, it's synonymous with he trusted in the world. He said, well, I have this impossible situation. I don't know what to do, so let me ask the world for help. Let me turn to Egypt. Let me turn to the big guns. Let me see if the world can offer me a way out of my impossible situation. That didn't work. And so he then decided, well, if the world can't, <laughs> the world can't help, then I guess I'll try to fix it myself. How stupid. Do we not do this all the time? We, we have an impossible situation. We go, okay, it's impossible. Let me figure this out. As if you <laughs> have the ability to do the impossible, right? This is Hezekiah. So the second thing he does, he trusts the world. Now he trusts in himself. He goes, okay, wh- what I'm going to need to do is go back on my personal convictions. Never a good start. And, and I'm going to pay tribute to the king of Assyria. When he took the throne, he stopped paying tribute to the king of Assyria. Well, now the situation is bleak. And he goes, okay, I'll pay. He drains all of his own treasury. He even drains the whole treasury of the temple. All of it. But you know what? It wasn't enough. The Assyrians were outside the city because they were besieging the city. They were stopping all water, all food supply. So what does Hezekiah do? Brilliant plan number two. I'll dig a tunnel. I'll dig a tunnel. That's what I'll do. That way we can get water and food in. And it's pretty impressive. You could still go to it today. It's amazing. It, it, it didn't work. It's this great idea. It's an awesome project, but it didn't work. You can come up with the greatest ideas, 
but it's not going to solve the impossible situations of your life. So third, he goes, okay, fine, I got to get more spiritual then. So he turns to a man of God. He turns to Isaiah. He says, Isaiah, here's my situation. Here's my situation. So this is what Isaiah says to him. Thus says the Lord, do not fear. And man, it was great. He sat there. He sat there at a church service. He, he heard from the word, and he goes, I'm full of the spirit now, baby. Have you ever had this happen? You come to church, your hands raised. You're like, this is so awesome. God's speaking to me. And then you step right outside back into real life. And the reality of your situation slaps you in the face. That is Hezekiah. He's, he's on fire. He gets the word from the Lord. But then right afterwards, he gets a letter from the Assyrian king, Sennacherib. And what does it say? It says, well, you better fear. So God said not to fear. His enemy said to fear. So what does he do? He fears. He trusts the world. He, he trusts himself. He even trusts a man of God. None of it worked until he finally broke. And what does he do? He himself goes to the temple. He takes that letter from Sennacherib and he lays it at the altar. And he says, I can't do this. Egypt can't do this. Isaiah can't do this. Only you can do this. And Isaiah comes back with another word and says, because you came to Jehovah, he will move on your behalf. What happens? The next day, his impossible situation, gone. One night. He goes to bed. I imagine he sleeps soundly. He wakes up. 185,000 soldiers dead. Like, oh, we didn't even have to fight. God killed the enemy before the battle began. God did what no one else could do. When your situation is bad, when it's impossible, flip it. Pray first. Go to the one who can do the impossible, who can slay the 185,000 before the battle begins. When we go on, notice it says that he, he can work all things together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Notice this promise is for those who love God. This is the great Christian privilege to know that no matter what happens to us, if we love God, he will use it for our good. And please listen, I, I think this is a big problem in every younger generation. So it's not just your younger generation, it's literally every generation when they are young. I believe that this promise implies that we are not to pursue the ideal constantly. I have seen so many young people cripple themselves, cripple themselves because they limit their life to their personal ideal. It has to be this way. Man, ladies talking to me go, man, that, that guy is an awesome Christian guy. He's living a life to bring God glory. I mean, he would make an ideal husband. I go, great. Well, what's the problem? <laughs> well, this might seem a little vain, <laughs> but he doesn't have a six-pack. <laughs> yes, that does sound vain. Uh, you're right. He's not six feet, and he doesn't make six figures. Well, all I heard was 666, so. 
just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> married couples get married, they want kids, but, but, they, but they're waiting. Now, I'm not saying that it's always bad, but this is what I hear a lot. Well, we're waiting till we're ready. We're waiting till we're ready. Okay, so then you're not going to have kids. Because <laughs> you ain't ever going to be ready. Like, I, never. Well, no, no, we just need this, 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 and this. And then once we have all of that, then you're still not going to be ready. I promise you, you won't be ready. Well, I would go to that college, but it's just so far away from mommy. Go to the college, right? Like, you're an arrow designed to be launched regardless of what mommy says, Okay. Guys, this verse, listen, this verse shows us that God can use that which is far from ideal in our lives. I urge you to trust him and not to trust your ideals. So it'll be a great time to talk about Joseph. Have you guys ever heard about that guy? <clears throat> Just in passing, brother's jealousy Betrayal, abduction, removal from all that he knew in life, slavery in loss of rights, falsely accused of rape. How horrible would that be? Especially when you did absolutely everything right. Get thrown into prison, which by the way, tells me that Potiphar didn't believe his wife, which we don't know her name, so I just call her Mrs. Potty. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. You can keep that one. Um, because Potiphar certainly could have easily had Joseph beheaded if he wanted, if he believed. But I believe he knew his wife, and he's like, oh! And so he had to act, and so he throws Joseph into prison. Well, anyways, there's Joseph in prison, falsely accused, and what happens in prison? He's forgotten. How many of you feel forgotten? Feel passed up? Feel overlooked? This is Joseph. <laughs> God... I've done everything by the book, everything you asked me to do, and here I am still rotting. Would that not have been easy for Joseph to say? And yet, we don't find this in his story. Joseph's life was far from ideal. In fact, it was pretty horrendous. But God's presence protected him throughout. And you hear that and you go, well, it doesn't sound like he protected him. He became a slave, falsely accused. Then he became a prisoner. That doesn't sound like much protection to me. Well, that's just because you don't understand God's protection. He protects us not from our trials and our difficulties. He protects us through them. He protects us in them. I don't have to remind you of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't deliver them from the fire. He gave them the strength to endure the fire, and he did so by his presence with them. See, when God strengthens us through trials, it's amazing how much stronger we become. Once we've endured the worst, what else is there left to endure? It wasn't long ago there was this thing that blew through the country. I don't know if you guys remember. It's called COVID. Um, anyway, uh, during that time, um, I, that's about as impossible of a situation for, to pastor through. Um, and... <laughs> For me, it was the, the, the worst time of it was towards the beginning. Um, 
Because in two days, I was told that I am a baby killer and a Satan worshiper. The baby killer was liberal. The Satan worshiper was conservative. So I'm getting it from as far of the spectrum as possible. The baby killer, what happened was at that time, um, our church was open. Now listen, we're in Jacksonville, Florida. When you hear about the big, bad, evil government, that's not Jacksonville, Florida. Um, In fact, they encouraged people to go to church um, during COVID. They wanted the churches open. They like sent out letters to pastors saying, please keep the doors open. We're sending people to church. Like, I mean, it's very different from the rest of the world. Like, I'm like, I just want to stay in this little bubble. Like I hear like the crazy things happening in Bangor, Maine. I I hear about the the crazy things happening in California. And I'm like, just just smile and nod. Don't let anyone look at you, right? Like, because it's the exact opposite in Jacksonville. Uh, But anyways, there we are. Our doors are open. We have a lady who goes to our church. Her mother-in-law goes to the church. Um, her mother-in-law comes to a service. Her mother-in-law that, that night then goes to, to visit her, plays with the baby, goes home. When she gets home, the mother-in-law goes, man, I'm not feeling so well. She then gets COVID. The, the lady who they both go to our church, so the lady who has the baby, calls me the next day and says, I want you to know because you haven't closed the doors of the church, my mother-in-law went to your church, went to our church, she goes there too, went to the church, she got COVID, she then came to my house and played with my baby. If my baby gets COVID, and if my baby dies, that is your fault. That's what she said to me. When When you think about being a pastor, you don't imagine that scenario. You don't imagine a mom who you love, goes to your congregation, like, I I love this family, saying to you, you are the reason my baby will die. The next day, the the city, um, local city uh, officials sent out word to all the churches, and and I'm telling you, it was as nicely put as it could be. They said, we want you to stay open, but we're asking, please, to wear face masks. Um, And I said, sure. We'll wear face masks. Um, we, and we were like, you know what, guys? I don't like face masks, okay? I'm not, not a fan. But I'm like, we'll wear face masks. We'll even go for it. We'll, we'll, we'll print reach church on the front of them. That gives us opportunity to witness to people. It's literally in your face. Like, hey, what's up? <laughs> go ahead. Ask. Go ahead. Right? Like, I mean, it's like right there, okay? We went for it. Because we did that, kept the doors open, I thought we can still worship the Lord and I'm not gonna be a mask Gestapo. Like I'm not gonna be at the front door like, I'm just not gonna do it, but we're gonna have the doors open. This is what we're gonna say. Because we agreed with the government of our, of our town, we, we, we submitted to them. Because we did that, I had a guy come to our church on the exact opposite side of the spectrum from this lady, pounding my desk, sticking his finger in my face, saying that I am a follower of Satan. (laughs) I'm like, killing babies and following Satan. It's crazy. I was, guys, I was so discouraged. I was so discouraged. I'm like, I am gonna make everyone in this church hate me. That guy let a church split. Our our church got cut in half. Um, (laughs) It wasn't very big to begin with. Um, But still, got, got, got cut in half. I'm like, we went from... 10 to 5. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> but anyways, it got cut in half, and I was so discouraged. And the Lord strengthened me in the midst of it, and he said, I'm going to carry you through this just like I'm going to carry you through everything that I've carried you through in the past, and just like I'm going to carry you through everything in the future. 
And what hit me, <laughs> lightning struck my brain. For those of you who like the movie Hook, <laughs> that was me. You're welcome. Um, anyways, <laughs> what, what hit me was, I don't think it's going to get much worse than being called a baby killer and a Satan worshiper back-to-back days. If this is about as low as it gets, Lord, I can handle anything. So now if someone comes into my office and they're like, I really don't like that you said the thing you said when you said that thing. I go, okay, well, am I a baby killer? No, all right. (laughs) We're good, we're good. There's plenty of other churches for you to go get mad at. Go for it, right? Guys, concluding lesson is this. Listen, and then I'm done. If God is for you, which is what this section says, if God is for you, then nothing can be against you. Nothing. And you go, well, no, wait, but pastor, yes, there can be something. No, 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 you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. That thing or that person that has been the constant thorn in your side, they're not against you. Well, but they said they're against me. You still don't understand what I'm saying. That trial and difficulty isn't against you because God is so good, God is so mighty that he will use even that thing that has been driving you crazy for your good and for his glory. Guys, let's get real for a second. I I know, we're at a young adults conference. Your singleness isn't against you. But it feels against me. Because look around all these happy people, right? You just see holding hands, skipping, right? Like a couple of them burping babies and you're like, why not me, right? Like I, it isn't against you. You know, I wasn't going to tell this story, but why not? Um, When I was a youth pastor, um, I I went to a camp and uh, we had this uh, leader in our church, in, uh, in our youth group in and she was about 40 years old. She had just gotten married. Um, and so we're at the camp, and, uh, you, you know, you're there for six days, and then they do this big, like, mail call. Um, and so you had this big, there's, like, 400 people in the room, and they're like, all right, so so-and-so got a letter from so-and-so. Come on up. And everyone just come and get it. Every day, she got something from her husband. She got a letter, and like it always, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So like the last day, it's just this giant like basket of like candy and like all this awesome stuff. And she runs forward, and she's like a very reserved lady. She grabs the microphone, it's just like this. She like grabs the microphone, and leans into it, and she goes, "Ladies, a godly man is worth the wait." And she like ran off. <laughs> She didn't get married till her very late 30s. And she would say, it was worth it. It was worth it. Your singleness isn't against you. Your sickness isn't against you. Your family drama isn't against you. They're not against you, again, because God is for you and he is so good, he is so mighty that he will use even your enemies for your good and for his glory. I mean, guys, does this not change the game? Like, does this not change absolutely everything? Does it not free us to be able to praise him in the midst of our struggles? To even thank him in the midst of our struggles? We can say, God, I don't understand why, but thank you that you'll use this. I don't know how, but thank you that you will. Guys, let's finish where we began. Do you know? Do you know 
that God is good? Do you know that he will use all things together for the good, for those who love and are called according to his purpose? Do you want to live a life of faith or a life of doubt? A life of freedom or one of bondage? The choice is yours. Father, we thank you so much that you are so good that no matter what we face, no matter what we face, you can and you will use it. We trust you. Lord, we hang our hat on that promise because we've seen you fulfill it every single time. So we build our Ebenezer stones. We look back and we remember with great fondness of every time you have saved us. Every time we've woken up and the enemy was already dead. Lord, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you currently are doing and thank you for what you will do. Thank you, Lord, that we can have hope in this life. When we look around, we see so little hope in this world. We thank you as believers that we can have hope, a sure, confident hope in you. I pray, Lord, every person hearing my voice right now, that they would have faith to believe that you are a God who can use any and all things for their good and for your glory. So we give you our lives, whatever you wanna do, whatever you wanna do with our life, we submit. Thank you, Jesus. It's your name that we pray, amen.